Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Market Place Risk Advisory Board Chair L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on all things startups. The Platform Podcast features conversations with founders, operators, and experts tackling a myriad of topics facing the marketplace and sharing economy startup ecosystem. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not professional advice. For specific issues, please seek an appropriate professional or contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com for more information. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Hello, and welcome back to the Platform Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Adrian Brown, who is one of the newest members of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board, and he's also co-founder of Orthillo. Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? It's going well, thank you. So I am really excited to hear about you, Orthillo, and also I believe we have a new project up your sleeve that I am going to hear about too. But first of all, a lot of the people in the marketplace risk community maybe don't know about you. So I'd just love to hear a bit more about your background because, I mean, I often say to my guests, none of us, you know, are at school or um, wake up one morning when we're kids and say, you know, I I kind of want to get in the world of, um, you know, fraud prevention, trust and safety. How did it evolve for you? Because I love, I love hearing how people got into it. Uh, Great question. Um, You know, I think you really hit home on that aspect is just because I've, I've said that to numerous people before, right? Is like, especially when you're studying computer science, um, like I have, uh, you don't get into academy or school and tell yourself, hey, look, trust and safety is it, right? Um, (laughs) So, you know, my journey began for me a couple years back um, within the risk management space. Um, And, you know, I I picked up content moderation, um, you know, starting at Yik Yak, uh, which was an anonymous social media company that allowed you to connect with anyone anonymously within a five mile radius of your current location. Um, so you can imagine <laughs> the kind of difficulties that would go into the trust and safety aspect. But yeah, I mean, that's how I got my start and I've stuck with it since. So. Amazing. And so Yik did that become, is that quite well known? I, I feel like I've heard of it and not heard of it. Is that just a US um, platform? Yeah. Um, so it is well known. Um, it was actually in tw- from 2013 to 2017. It was um, highly touted as Twitter's replacement. Uh, you know, it was once valued at 400 million, and you know, the year of 2017, they were actually kicked off the App Store uh, because of trust and safety issues. Um, so I was actually a part of the second group, or what we called at the time Yik Yak 2.0. It was me and three other colleagues. And we essentially relaunched Yik Yak back into the App Store, um, you know, created a safer community and um, were able to fundraise and do some great things there. So Fantastic. Now, in a previous conversation, you did say to me you were an engineer at heart, and I thought that was an interesting way of describing it. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, for me, when I think about problems in today's world, you know, I always approach it from a technical lens. Um, How can I meet code with reality, essentially? Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been that way. So, you know, I've been programming for about three and a half, four years now. Um, You know, I started earlier in my college years um, and didn't really stick with it until, you know, I got out of school and, you know, kind of found a passion for it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't ever ask people on my podcast how old they are, but I sense from speaking to you that you're a millennial. And am I right? (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm not too keen on the the um classifications they have. I know there's like Gen no. Z, X, yeah, all this, but yeah, I know, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think millennials are interesting. Um, I'm Gen X, I and we're mm-hmm. interesting too, of course. But what I like about millennials and Gen X is that we have grown up, um, in an analog world and and had to adopt digitization, depending on exactly how old we are, but. How do you find that? What do you think about, you know, the technology that you grew up with and you were used to as a child and the way that you've kind of had to absorb it and grow up with all this rapidly changing stuff? Do you think it's a good thing to grow up in that fast changing environment that it sort of teaches you to kind of think on the hoof um, and that maybe Gen Z's and, and the younger's kids that have come up and grown with it all the time do you think it's a good thing that we're equipped um with yeah that that's an interesting take um you know from my experience it's it's kind of an unknown right um it's it reminds me a lot of what tobacco was and how it was idolized in hollywood and films back in you know the midnight uh 80s and 70s and things Mm -hmm. like that but um, really for me, what it is, is I think it's an advantage to understanding how technology has grown over time and what it used to look like and where it's at now uh, for millennials specifically. Um, just because, you know, with the rapid evolution of technology from how people connect on social media platforms, from whether it was MySpace back in today or it's Twitter, you know, now, um, I think it allows us to see the full picture of what it is. Uh, whereas, you know, the Gen Z and newer kids, they're not as adept or equipped to understand, you know, what risk factors might, you know, be out there, uh, whether it's from a trust and safety perspective, if we're talking that specifically, or if it's just from a simple, you know, don't put your real personal information online, right? Um, so yeah. we've seen like it, yeah, we've seen stuff go wrong, haven't we? Um, and yeah. taken learning. Let's get on to Othello, first of all. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about about that. Yeah, so Othello is a leading identity verification provider uh, in the market currently. Right now, um, our primary focus is recreating the internet and how you think about it. Um, what we want to do is rebuild a privacy-centric internet, but do it through the lens of identity verification. So what that means, uh, you know, kind of, keeping it stupid or simple, um, is creating and centralizing verification for users on a platform um, and tackling that or accomplishing that through three primary authentication channels. That's going to be biometrics, document scan, and SMS um, to start. And what we've realized along the way is that You know, account generation for platforms today, whether it's Airbnb or Facebook or, you know, whatever platform you're logging onto, it's abstracted away uh, when you sign up or generate an account, uh, which essentially facilitates a a, um, understanding of mistrust between the platform and user to begin with. So our job is to essentially solidify account generation back down to the core platform using those three primary authentication channels I just talked about um, and centralized identity verification by creating an internet passport that users can use across multiple sites. So 
So does that involve blockchain? And and I, I again, I'm 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 doing asking the kind of the stupid questions because um yeah. you know it's it's complex. And I just when I hear that as of something that that's secure across all mm-hmm. sites, does that involve the blockchain? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. It, it's an area we are exploring and have explored before. Um, and it's also a question we've heard before too, right? Um, but right now we <laughs> have no, um, um, you know, anything in market that would serve uh, for the blockchain um, specifically. But, you know, it's an area that we are looking at and keeping an eye on as it continues to grow and as we continue to grow and as the market shifts. Um, I definitely think that might be a great landing spot for what we're building. Mm-hmm. So does Othello require platforms to sort of collab- collaborate with each other or is this something that, that is done totally yep. separate from them? Yeah, so so that's our primary objective is to, you know, kind of increase transparency around these things. Um, we want to make it so, you know, you have a centralized place, whether you're a platform working with another platform to understand, you know, fraud rings or trust and safety issues at scale, or if you're just a user logging onto a platform, we want to make sure that you have a safe place that you can go where information is encrypted, private, but also, you know, utilized in the correct ways in which we can, you know, help facilitate and foster a better environment for trust between the platform and the user itself at the end of the day. I mean, it it sort of seems super logical because in a way, Mm -hmm. If you're constantly going on platforms, as we all are these days, why would we want to keep verifying ourselves when, in in a you know, it's almost like remove that from from the platforms we're engaging with and, and have that separately, and and then you kind of have to do it. It's, it seems quite logical. Why is it taken this long for people to to do it this way? Yeah, yeah, great question. I I really think it's just about where the market has been, uh, historically speaking, uh, with all the new things coming into the pipeline from a regulatory perspective, whether it's in the EU or it's here in the States, um, you know, things have just always been a certain way. Um, and I think with that said, trust and safety is still such a new place for people uh, professionally that it's really hard to find the signal and all the noise because no one really has a thought out or developed process in place yet, right? We're, we're still experimenting. You know, policy is probably the wild, wild west of trust and safety today. Like it's always changing. Um, it's probably the hardest part to the job. Um, so shout out to all the policy people that I know. But, um, you know, it, it's just a means of adaptation at this point. So, mm-hmm. so in a sense, you're creating a kind of the virtual passport so that people can kind of you know, I suppose I'm just thinking of it in, you know, the platforms are like countries that you, you equipping people so that they can go where they want. Is that right? And, yep. and, and how does that, how resistant is that to frauds and, and scams? It can't be a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing is ever a hundred percent. Um, and if it is, it's likely too good to be true. Right. Uh, but what we've utilized and found that works is, uh, not only is our technology great and guarantees, you know, the 98 to 99% accuracy, but we also use a process called human and loop, um, which essentially allows us to do two things. We can automate the verification of user credentials, um, and we can also manually do it as well. Uh, so coupling those two techniques together has served us very well, especially as we 
uh, continue to improve over the internal tooling and machine learning models we have in place, um, you know, this stuff will only scale well for us and scale better than mm. what it currently is. And relating it specifically to marketplaces, because obviously marketplaces have, have a very, you know, um, specific set of challenges because you're dealing yeah. with, you know, two sides, buyers and sellers, usually, um, you know, uh, users and providers, whatever type of marketplace it, it is. So these mm -hmm. types of specific issues, such as um, I imagine things like fake reviews is a big one, chargebacks, we talk about a lot of marketplace risk. Does Othello help with these kind of market? place specific issues absolutely um i i think that is our bread and butter um outside of everything else that we're focused on is serving marketplaces um you know the number one thing that i've always noticed is when it comes and this is just for general trust and safety as well uh and this is a fact that i've pulled from experience before Othello, and you know typically platform abuse occurs within the first 28 days of sign up right really so yeah yeah when we get we to take, it then <laughs> yeah literally so when we take um the approach of solidifying account generation back down to the core platform that's where we get to you you know kind of mitigate some of that risk so with you know a focus on marketplaces our strong suit has always been serving kyc based compliance um, and tapping into AML at a high level. But uh, really, whether it's chargebacks or free trial fraud um, or scalping, if you know, you're a ticket hub, uh, really, it's, you know, essentially combating fraud um, through the lens of identity verification. Mm -hmm. Now, before I get on to your new project, I just want to ask you one question, because I was looking at the Othello website and there is a term on there that's the first time I've ever come across this um, in the world of marketplace risk and I have no idea what it means and so if I don't know what it means I want to share this with my audience what does scalping mean in the context yeah. of fraud uh, so in the context of fraud or trust and safety in general um, from my understanding it's the event or intention of essentially reselling a ticket at a higher price um, and that's just one example, essentially. Right. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, got it. Yeah. I've not come across that. So I've learned a lot already and we're only halfway through. So moving on, tell me about your new project and, and actually to, to sort of tie in with Orthillo, where, where are you at with that? And what, what was your sort of, you know, in, involvement and, and where, how are things, um, progressing with, yeah. with the Orthillo project? Absolutely. Othello is going great. Um, you know, I think the team that we have put in place is amazing, world-class. I think everyone there um, believes in the product and we're users of the product first, right? Um, in terms of where I'm at with Othello, you know, I still have an active um, engagement with the team and the product itself. Uh, but right now, you know, as I continue to navigate my journey uh, from a career standpoint, you know, I'm looking to get further into the machine learning and AI space um, as an engineer first, and then also uh, really, you know, go back to my roots as an open source contributor. Um, you know, I started as an open source engineer or developer, and, you know, I want to be able to take all the accumulated experience that I've gained over the years to give back to the technical community and others 
whether you're an internet business or a decentralized network or community, I want to make sure that, you know, essentially you have the necessary tools in place to succeed. So. Fantastic. And it sounds very purpose driven as well, which is, um, which is, you know, great to hear. So Apollo, um, new project that I really want to hear about, and I'm sure my listeners will as well. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So long story short, we are an AI-driven, no-code investigations platform that's open source to help internet businesses, one, detect bad actors at scale, um, but essentially give them the means to uh, effectively handle real-time changes in user experience. So, okay, that is a, a short version of a long story, but I'm going to yeah. need <laughs> I need to hear a bit more because <laughs> um, uh, you know some of the the terms in this. I I kind of feel I know mm-hmm. w- what what it actually involves, but when we talk about yeah. uh, an open source engine for trust and safety, what mm-hmm. what really is that? How does that work? Yeah. So for us, the open source or open piece is creating code um, that facilitates open collaboration between different entities or individuals online. Uh, So for us, that has been through the lens of centralizing investigations through our no-code platform. Um, And then where we get into the uh, nitty bits of the entire situation is trying to think about how we can essentially capitalize on the huge opportunity when it comes to user safety. Um, So, you know, today teams are essentially responsible for reducing harm, educating users and locking out bad actors, right? Um, But what we've realized is there's no effective way uh, to connect policy, legal and product in one place. Um, And also, you know, automate, you know, detection at scale using either existing providers today in the market or our own custom internal machine learning models. So uh, for us, what the rules engine essentially is made up of is a way to set conditions and filters against existing content or newly posted content on one's platform um, and essentially affect change from there. And does that work alongside human content moderators how do the two fit together and where do you see it, it going in terms of AI because obviously AI has been in the media a lot recently and and you know everyone's been playing about with the chat GP is it GPT yeah um yep. thing yep. um so this is suddenly just becoming part of of life does this mean mm-hmm. that in the future people who are content moderators real people who are doing it um, you know, would they not have to do it anymore? Or is there always going to be a yep. need for real humans making judgment calls on, on some of this stuff? Yeah, this this is a great question. And these are questions people are having now with the release of generative AI and all these large language models is like, where, where do humans fit into the mix, right? Um, I think there's always going to be a need for manual review to some degree. Uh, but what we've done in the breakthroughs that we've had is through reducing the workload. So, you know, trust and safety teams outside of what I talked about earlier are also responsible for making decisions simply Mm. about how features impact the health of everyone, Uh, whether it's me and you or anyone else listening to this. um, You know, these decisions can go from deciding how to keep you safe on your Uber ride or to the pay now button on your cash app or Venmo account. 
Um, what we've realized is, you know, most trust and safety moderators or managers are overworked. Uh, they're handling misplaced information or inaccurate data a lot of the times, or they're just struggling to escalate uh, information to the correct place. So uh, what we want to do is essentially reduce all of that. And what we've done from a study standpoint, case study standpoint, is um, when we've implemented these workflows and use this approach at other companies, you know, we were able to take, you know, 100% of moderator workload and reduce it down to um, 46%. Uh, we've increased response time from minutes to seconds. And, you know, our accuracy is 99%. So, yeah. And it's a, I know from previous guests I've had on the podcast and just through my work with Marketplace Risk that, you know, it's a tough job, isn't it? Um, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you find that AI or the AI ML model for content moderation tends to be to err on the side of being too strict or too lenient with some stuff or it does it get it right? I don't know. Where does it sit? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's always changing. You know, if, if you're not training a classifier every quarter, um, essentially it's you're going to run into issues like that, right? Um, but a lot of times, I think the biggest challenge outside of like, is it too strict or is it to this? Um, really, a lot of that lies within the policy uh, that is set on the platform itself. So that's individualistic for each person using the platform and what they want. Um, so, you know, obviously, if I have a college-based platform, I am going to, you know, allow and not allow certain things. Um, whereas if I have Twitter, for example, you know, Twitter allows you to post porn online. So, you know, there are different things in terms of policy and what's allowed on each platform. But for what we've realized from tuning the models and training the models is that detecting algo speak um, has probably primarily been the biggest challenge. Um, so that's one thing that we're working on currently. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And just... I'm really interested about, you know, somebody like you that works in this, you know, so immersed in this space. What, you know, what does your phone look like? And in the sense that does using these sorts of things every day and seeing what goes on, does it make you less keen to use platforms or just more knowledgeable when you do? Because I did hear something about, you know, some of the um, the big tech founders don't even let their children use social media because yeah. they know how bad it is but i just wonder for yeah. somebody like you that's really immersed in in this stuff what what how does it affect the way that you use it all yeah um it honestly in short it makes me use it less really <laughs> and it gets back to the simple principle of trusting platforms and having that trusting relationship between platform and user and ultimately you know from the standpoint of win-win, that's how businesses are going to maximize ROI, right? Um, and then also, it's also going to keep people safe, which is needed. Um, it, it's a dire need. So for me, it's using it less to some degree, but also it helps me make informed decisions uh, when coming across certain content online. You know, it helps me understand what a platform is dealing with when I do see certain volumes of, you know, content at certain periods of the day or whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes me better or more efficient when using uh, yeah. some of these social media platforms yeah. in a sense. What I love about what I've heard from you, Adrian, is that it's, you know, you really, 
you know you you're really a force for good in in this space and and the the stuff that you're yeah. doing um is to make the, our online interactions better and and safer for everyone so you know that's really refreshing to hear yeah thank you it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast and I look forward to you know working with you further in the marketplace risk community and if anyone wants to reach out to you I, I know that you're on LinkedIn is there any other sort of call to action you want to to offer up yeah um, that that's pretty much it is LinkedIn's a great place to reach me uh, if you do want to reach me on my personal website it will be X com. Uh, you can reach me there, look at some of my uh, portfolio projects. And if you have any questions, my inbox is always open. So brilliant. Thank you so much again, Adrian. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the platform podcast. Be sure to check us out at marketplacerisk.com for information and resources to help startups launch, grow and succeed. And follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk to stay up to date on all of our conferences, summits, virtual events, and more.